Thank the Lord. Good morning, guys. Good to see you. Let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Let's go there. While you're turning there, let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Father, um, for so many years, you've given us your word. For almost 2,000 years, people have gathered, your saints, to study your word. We pray right now that you would speak to us as only you can through your Holy Spirit. So we thank you for that, and we anticipate it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, we are in, in Mark chapter 2 right now. So let's go ahead there. And uh, the last time I was uh, here last month, here, I'm here every Sunday, but <laughs> last time we spoke in Mark, um, we had learned about uh, leprosy. We talked about how in the Bible, um, at times, leprosy is a metaphor or a type of sin. And we have Dave moving the microphone. I moved, I actually moved it away from me. Yeah, it's okay. You can put it right in my mouth, brother. There we go. <laughs> Love you, man. Uh, those of you that don't know him, that's Pastor Dave. He's the pastor that does everything else. So whatever we all can't do, we just go to Dave. You know, or if we're too lazy, we say, go to Dave, and he's right there. We love him. So we talked about that. Um, we also talked about last time how, um, how this leprous man, as we went through this event, that his only hope of cleansing was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we related this event to our own sin and, and how uh, our cleansing comes through our trust and faith. In Jesus Christ. We also talked about last month uh, about the spelling of the word leprosy and how the devil, the world, and the flesh loves to take away the first three letters of the word leprosy and makes sin look like it's rosy and it's not. It actually leads to death and destruction and, and of course uh, it separates us and hurts our relationship with God. Uh, sin does. We also talked about repentance and um, which was good in, in how true repentance starts in the mind. It starts in the will of man and in, in his or her heart. That's where it starts, you know, it starts right there. And, and I use a picture of a person who recognizes their sinful ways as wrong and needing to stop. They bow their head, they decide right then and there you know, right then and there to walk in the opposite direction of where they're going. You know, so I use that and, and they actually ask and rely on Jesus Christ to give them the power not to do those things anymore. And that was the example of repentance that I use. And there's tons of examples, so feel free to always come up with an example or examples of repentance when you're talking to people to let them know what true repentance is. Um, and then I had some final words. Uh, I don't know if you remember them. <laughs> Probably not, but I had said that God loves us very, very much, and, and, and that he's very concerned about our life, and that's if you're saved and if you're unsaved. God does love you. He's concerned about you, and if you're unsaved, I had said, just do what Jesus told you to do. He, he says, repent and believe the gospel. That's what he said, and those of us that are saved that need to repent, repent, <laughs> right? So I had ended with that. And I also said that each of us, um, um, saved and unsaved, we, we together 
need to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're unsaved, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. For those that are saved, we need to put our faith and trust in him for growth and for victories over the things in our life. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And now we get into chapter 2. So I just gave you a little bit there to catch you up because I know, well, I know I forget a lot of stuff in my old age, so I don't know about you guys. but So that catches us up. Let's look at chapter 2, and we're going to come into a city uh, as we look into God's word of Capernaum. Capernaum, and you see that a lot in the Gospels. Now, Capernaum is in the northwest of the Sea of Galilee. It's a fishing city. Pretty nice place to hang out, I guess. And here the Lord is hanging out at a particular place. But there is a specific reason for this whole event. It's very crucial. It's very important. Why is Jesus in this city? Why is he in the house? Why are the certain people gathered? Well, the Lord is bringing people together for a specific purpose and a specific reason. And we're going to get that out of uh, the few scriptures that we go through uh, this morning. Okay, so... Um, let's read verse 1 and 2 together, and let's see what God has for us. It says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together, so that there was no room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Now, Notice where it says here, guys, it says the house. It seems to be a place in Capernaum that Jesus frequented, it seems. And, and it seemed to be a place that people knew the location and they knew that that's where he would be. Um, now, I, I love that, how Jesus comes into this house and he's there and they know that that's exactly where. Because think about where Jesus is today. He's right here in this house, right? He's right here. The, the Holy Spirit lives right here within us. And I would love that people would just know that that's where Jesus is, and they would come there and know that's the location we could find them and sit and talk to us, whether it's at the job, in the home, or wherever. That they would look at our Christian lives and say, that's where Jesus is, and come and sit and talk. So I, I really like that that whole uh, view of us. And um, notice it also says here, uh, upon hearing that Jesus was in the house, it was immediately packed. You notice that? Now look at Luke chapter 5. Turn to Luke chapter 5. And I want you to look at the same event. Look at verse 17. I want you to look at the same event and how Luke describes the whole scene as it begins here in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Because we look here, and it says in, in Mark, uh, as we just read, he was in the house, and immediately many gathered together, so that there was no room to receive them. Uh, so now let's look at Luke chapter 5, and verse 17, and it says, Now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees, and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, that's a lot, of Judea, that's a lot, and Jerusalem. So that's a whole lot of towns that all of these uh, uh, teachers of the law and Pharisees are coming, right? You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like a conference. 
Sounds like a retreat, right? This is the, the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees retreat that the Lord is putting on. It's a little conference, right? And it says, it finishes up verse 17 of Luke. It says, uh, chapter 5, and the power of the Lord, I love that, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Who's the them? Well, the them are the people that were explained, which were the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Jesus had gathered these men to heal them of their false theology concerning him. Now let's go back to Mark where we are in, in chapter 2. Okay. Now <clears throat> notice something which is very obvious here um, is what Jesus was doing in both of those gospels. Look what he was doing. It says he was teaching and preaching the word. This is what Jesus did when he visited this house. This is what Jesus commonly did wherever he went to visit. He taught and preached the word. Now think about this. God can visit you in your home. God, I mean, he's with us all the time. Yes, he is. But how many of you have ever experienced that special visitation of the Lord? You're just doing something in your house. You're just kicking back. I don't know, whatever you're doing. And you just feel this presence that Jesus is just there. Well, he's not there just to lounge around and talk about politics or anything. He's showing up, and I would venture to say it's about the word of God. He wants to speak to you. He wants to teach you. He wants to instruct us about the word of God. So if, if Jesus happens to stop on by for a visit, guys, um, I'm pretty sure that we need to unplug and allow the Lord to speak to us something concerning his word. I really believe that. He loves speaking to us. Okay. Um, what we also see here is Jesus is giving the people exactly what they need. Now, a lot of us, you know, a lot of them that were gathered need something. I'm sure that they could give them a whole laundry list of everything they need. But the shepherd, the good shepherd, knows exactly what these people need. So what does he give them? The word of God. God's word is so powerful. God's word is so needed in our Christian life, not to say the whole world, but our Christian life, we need it so much that this is paramount over anything else. And I know we have needs. I got needs. But the word of God must be uh, held to a place that, Lord, I know you can help me through this through the word of God. So he's giving the people what they need. I really love that. And I, I know that's what he does for us as well. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> it says, then they came to him, all right, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, wow, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now, can you imagine the persistence of these five men to do what they all did. Four being carried, one on the bed. <laughs> right? Now, <clears throat> what is a, the condition of a paralytic? Think about it. I don't know if any of you have ever been in that state. I was at one time. But how many of you have been a paralytic? Okay, But probably not many. But what is the condition? They're immobilized. You can't walk. You depend on others 
for things, meaning you at the mercy of others, right, to do everything for you, right? You become a burden that others must carry. That's the condition. Now, verse 3 says they were carried by four men. Now, these four men, okay, listen, they were willing to carry this man. Not only were they willing to carry this man, they were able, strong enough to carry this man. Not only that, they were also determined to get him to Jesus. And not only that, they were relentlessly breaching the obstacles that came in their way. That is, is the picture of these four men that were carrying this poor guy on a stretcher. Now, we can very well <laughs> be just like these four men in our Christian walk, okay? Just ask yourself this question. I mean, seriously. Are we willing to carry a person to Jesus who needs help? Hmm. All right, Rich. Number two. Are we strong enough spiritually to carry a person to the Lord? Hmm. Number three, will we be determined to get this person to Jesus? And remember, guys, I don't want to beat myself up on this because sometimes I do. I got to remember there were four guys. <laughs> so you're not alone in this. Hang in there. You, you don't got to do all this by yourself. There's four guys, all right? And another question I wanted to ask is, will I or will we be the ones who will be relentless and not let obstacles stop our progress to get someone to Jesus? Now, we have no clue how intelligent or school these four men were, right? However, <laughs> they've probably never been to college. I don't know, maybe they have, I doubt it. But we don't know anything about that. But, but, but what we do know is that they knew enough to take their burden to Jesus. Even when their burden <laughs> got heavier and got harder, okay, as they had to carry them they still took it to Jesus. You tell me the burdens in our life sometimes and we take it to Jesus and we bring it to the Lord and then all of a sudden it gets heavy. <laughs> it gets hard and then we start going off the path to find some other way to help us with our burden. No, not these guys and not us. I love it, I love it, I love it. Now also in verse four, as we read, it says, if you look at verse 4, it says here, when they broke through. So, so I want you to picture these guys. They're coming, and, and, and they try. You know, I don't know how long it took them to get to where the guy lived. They had to take that journey to get to where the house was in Capernaum. And when they got there, it was crowded, so now they can't get in. So someone has a bright idea to go up to the top of the house. So they carry this guy to the top of the house. And then the guy said, well, why are we at the top of the house? We're going to take this roof off. 
So they start taking the roof off, and it says, when they broke through. Now, just imagine all of those difficulties, right? There was still one more difficulty they had to do, which was the repositioning of him and putting him however they were going to do it to lower him down. Nothing but difficulties from the time they picked him up to the time they lowered him down. But yet, with all of these difficulties, it says they broke through. Now, I want you to think about something. How can we Christians, okay, that carry burdens to Jesus so that he can take care of them, how can we break through? How can we, how can we go through the difficulties of whatever it is in our lives? And we don't see the answers. We don't see the conclusions yet. Sometimes we see a light at the end of the tunnel. Other times we don't. And it's troubling and it's hard. But we know we got to take the roof off. We know we got to get it to Jesus. The difficulties in the enemy is working against us like clockwork. He never sleeps. So how can we break through? Well, here's one way we can break through. Is if you turn to Philippians 4.6. You know this scripture. I want you to look at it. Go to Philippians, okay? I want you to go to chapter 4. I know you guys know this. Good Bible students here. Go to Philippians chapter 4. The rustling of my pages here. I love that sound. And, and, and this is how we break through, all right? This is how we break through. It says, be anxious for nothing. Are you anxious about anything? Are you anxious about anything? Yeah. All right. Stop for a minute. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. If we could view prayer as a means to carry our burdens to Jesus, and if we could use prayer as a means to breach the obstacles, third thing, if we could use prayer to overcome those difficulties, and the third thing is we could use prayer to break through then we are on the right track to go ahead and face the very things that we got to face and get, oh, but prayer, no, I don't think prayer works. Well, there's the problem. Prayer does work. Well, I've been praying so long for this, I haven't seen it. I, I don't care how long you've been praying for. God has a timeline. You got to be on God's timeline, not your timeline. You, you know our timeline is microwave. 15 seconds. And even 15 seconds is too long. Go ahead, try heating up your milk for your coffee for 15 seconds. You're like, come on. But on God's timeline, prayer works. So if we could use prayer as a means to carry our burden, to breach the obstacles, and to break through, we will be on track to actually fulfilling 
what Jesus Christ had told us to do, or not so much fulfilling what he told us to do, but we will have the results of able to carry these things to the Lord and break through by prayer. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, that men ought to always pray. That men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Paul said, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Ephesians 6.18. I cannot emphasize prayer enough is what we need in our life to go ahead and carry these burdens. I'm telling you, you may think that it's a waste of time, but don't believe it. That's the enemy in the flesh. But don't I have to have a special place, special means, special words? Don't I have to have that special feeling as I pray? No, don't believe it. You just pray. You just talk to the Lord. That's the enemy trying to keep you from praying. You just pray. Oh, but I have to go in my prayer closet. Well, yeah, you do. You know, prayer closet's good, but I'm in the kitchen. I guess I got to wait an hour. No, you pray now. I'm telling you, prayer is going to help us break through. It's going to help us. Okay, let's go back to Mark chapter 2, okay, and let's look at verse uh, 5, and we're going to read down to verse 7, okay? When Jesus saw their faith, <laughs> I love that, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there. Remember the guys that Jesus had all gathered together at the conference, right? The, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. All right, they're all sitting around. And, and, and he says here, <clears throat> he, he told them, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. They were reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Hmm. So that's what they were going on in their heart. Well, let's back up a second. It says Jesus saw their faith. Now, these men had traveled. I don't know how far, but they traveled. They labored the whole time doing all of this stuff by faith. They did all of it by faith. They broke through using the tools of faith. Amazing, right? They did all of this with faith and by faith. And what does that tell us about how we go forward in what we do in prayer, in everything else? By faith. I gotta do it. By, well, what is, I, I really gotta feel it. Mm -mm, you just trust the Lord. God's gonna take it from there. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Isn't that what we tell people every day? God is the one that births that. He's the one that, that increases it. So, 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 so here we are. These guys did all of this by faith. The faith that they had, however, right? The faith that they had was expressed in their actions. You notice that, right? And not only that, here's the third thing. Their faith was evident and it was visible to Jesus. 
Now, whether anyone else saw it, that didn't matter. But that Jesus saw it, that's what matters. And you know, if, 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 if people see you and eh, I don't see any faith in you, that, that really doesn't matter what I see in your life. But what matters is what God sees in your life. I'm not measuring myself up by what you think my faith should look like. He knows just how to look and go, ha, ha, I see your faith. I just love that. So Jesus looks up. He sees their faith. And then, and then, what does he do? Their faith was rewarded, wasn't it? Their faith was rewarded. There is a reward at the end. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And I know you know this scripture. So go to Hebrews 11 Verse 6, and I want you to keep in, in, in mind the four things that I just said is how these guys labored and, and, and made it through with faith and by faith. They ex their faith was expressed in their actions and that it was very evident to Jesus and that he saw it and that it was rewarded. And look at Hebrews 11, verse 6, and it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God, to please him, right? For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that's exactly what we see with these guys. And that's exactly what we should be seeing with our lives in every way that we can. Now, up until this point, back to, to Mark chapter 2, up until this point, the teachings and the preachings from, from Jesus, right, he, from him, was all about the word of God. Everything he was telling, he wasn't talking about the Romans and how, you know, we need He was teaching and preaching the word of God. And you have all of these very intelligent Bible school graduates and students and Pharisees and these guys that could probably quote the Old Testament. They're all before, and he's teaching and preaching. Everything Jesus had said up until this point was without question. Nobody was questioning anything he was teaching and preaching. However, Jesus' words on forgiveness, all right, of sins collided with the theology that some of them, these teachers and Pharisees had. It collided with, with the way that they thought about forgiveness of sins. Now, before we take a look at this question, I want to quote something from Mark chapter 3, verse 28, and 1 John 1, 9, and answer the question that some might have concerning the forgiveness of sins, or the question might be, can God forgive me of all or of a horrendous sin that I've done or I've done something so bad, can God forgive me? I think I need to address that really quick. Listen to what Mark chapter 3, verse 28 says. If anyone has a question in their heart, know this is something God cannot forgive me for. Jesus said this, Assuredly, I say to you, all sins, will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. All sins, all sins 
It also says in 1 John 1, 9, if, if we confess our sins, got it, all sins, it doesn't matter what it is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if anyone ever had a question or comes to you with the question saying, can God forgive me? The answer is yes. God can forgive you. So if a person feels that they've stepped over that line so badly, they've done something so horrendous, and that they feel they cannot be forgiven, God can forgive them. God can forgive you no matter what it is. He loves you very, very much. Look, God will forgive any sin a repentant heart brings to him. He will do it. That's how much he loves us. Okay, now let's look at verse 6 as we move a, a little bit. We're going to get into this question that these, these, law, these uh, law, um, uh, uh, lawyers of the word <laughs> and the Pharisees had. Verse 6, <clears throat> I'm going to read down to verse 7. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. I just want to go over it again. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus' words, like I said before, on forgiveness of sins collided with the teachers and the Pharisees' theology, making them say what we just read in verse 7. Who can forgive sins but God? But in verse 8, it says, But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your heart? Jesus heard and understood what they were saying in their heart. No one can ever hide their true feelings and thoughts from God. God knows everything, no matter what. I'm sure they looked very holy, didn't they? But Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking in their heart. These teachers of the law, they hadn't put two and two together yet, okay, of who Jesus is. <clears throat> They should have, this is what they should have done. Now, they're very wise in the word. Jesus gathered them for a reason. This whole thing was for a purpose. They should have taken what Jesus was teaching, match it up with the Old Testament scriptures, compare it with what he was doing, and conclude that Jesus was God, the Son, the Holy Messiah. Listen. The view, or their view anyway, of Jesus was an earthly and a wrong view, and Jesus wanted to correct it. Their view of the Messiah was wrong. He wanted to correct it. Their view of who he was, he wanted to correct it. He is the perfect man. No sin at all. That's who he is. Yes, he's a man, but he's the perfect man. He is the God-man, the Son of God. God, who is God? That's what he wants to get across to them. Jesus wanted to let them know that he is God the Son, totally equal in every way to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in that which makes God God. Okay? 
the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one in their divinity. They are God, yet they are distinguished in three persons. And this is what he wanted to get to them. Who can forgive sins but God? Only God can forgive sins. No man or created being can forgive sins. And that's what he's trying to get across to these guys. You need to know who the real Jesus is. It is so important for them to know who Jesus is and who better to get a hold of to teach them who the Messiah is, who Jesus is, and to send them out to teach it. I'm gathering these guys together for a reason. Jesus has them together for a reason. Now, <clears throat> a quick point on our responsibility to God um, when we sin, since God's the only one that can forgive our sins. Since we have been created by God, think about our responsibility and man's responsibility, what Jesus is trying to get across. Since we have been created by God in Genesis 1.27 and Psalms 119.73, and we are all accountable to God for the wrong that we do, Matthew 12.36-37. Therefore, Jesus is our judge, John 5.22. When we sin, we initially sin against Almighty God, and it is God we must reckon with first. No one is exempt from this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. So seeing that responsibility, seeing what Jesus is doing, back to our text concerning man's sin and being forgiven by Jesus in verse 8, Jesus says to these teachers of the law, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Now I want you to notice something. This reasoning that these teachers of the law and Pharisees were having was not with each other. They weren't debating with each other as they sat there. Mm -mm. What was going on was this was something individually in every single one of their hearts that they were personally debating with. Now, today you may be questioning something about Jesus in your heart. But as we look at the end of these verses and we're coming to a close, let God's word help you see who Jesus really is and what he can do. And let his word help us, let it heal us, because that's what he was there to do for these guys. He was there to help and to heal these teachers and Pharisees about who he was and what he can do. He, he here, right now, can do the very same thing. Verse 9. Coming to a close, guys. Which is easier to say to the paralytic? So now he got all their attention. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? And I'm sure they must have scratched their head and said, wow, man. I got to make a decision, you know, this is what I would say. Jesus at this point in time wants to demonstrate who he is 
God the Son. Listen, this is how strong this is. He's there teaching this whole crowd. He wants to demonstrate who he is, God the Son, and what he can do concerning forgiveness of sin, right? Forgiveness. And if, if, if they listen to his teaching, they would learn that his words in all that he was saying and teaching them and preaching them, that, okay, we can not only see who he is, everything he says we can trust. Everything he says we can rely on. This is where Jesus wanted to bring these guys. And the very healing that he was going to do went hand in hand, hand in hand with forgiving this man. And it went hand in hand for the very reason we find in verse 10. Look what he says. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Jesus now gives the full and clear reason for his having the teachers and the, of the law here and the Pharisees present, sitting in the choice seats in a crowded house that no one can get into. <laughs> now we know why those guys were in the main seats. Now we know why he has this conference. He wants to bring them together. He's going to use the healing. He's going to use what he said about forgiveness of sins. He's going to put it together before them to show them who he is. He said to the paralytic in verse 11, right? It says here, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. <laughs> now, the paralytic's ears worked. We know his ears were working, okay? He's laying in the bed. I'm sure when he heard those words, his heart was like, oh, finally. You know, he lowered me down. I'm here. And, and, and Jesus gets in this discussion with these guys. I can see him laying there going, okay, when is he going to, you know, talk to me? <laughs> and he hears these words. And I, I, I know that this guy was like, yes. And, and then he couldn't wait to hear those words. And then verse 12, <laughs> I love verse 12, immediately, there was no delay, immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. And I, I, I love how Luke 5.25 writes it. It says, this man went out carrying his bed while glorifying God. <laughs> now, 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 I want you to just put yourself in this conference. And here's Caitlin standing there watching and, and, and all these things, right? We're watching this happen. He gets up and he's carrying his bed, glorifying God out. Now, when you see the bed, it speaks of his physical healing. But he also carried something else that you can't see. He carry out, carried out the words of Jesus Christ, saying your sins are forgiven. And he was told to go to his house with that. So when his house saw him coming, it, whoa, look at him. And he got his bed. What happened? Well, let me tell you. You know me, laying up immediately. <laughs> Glory to God. But I got something else to tell you. I'm carrying a message, forgiveness. 
Not only have I been physically healed, I'm spiritually healed. And us, we've been physically healed, a lot of us. But yet we've been spiritually healed and we have a message to carry. We're not only carrying our bed, per se, <laughs> but we're carrying the words everywhere we go that not only was God so gracious to me and loving to me physically, materially, whatever, but spiritually. And what he's done for me, he could do for you. He could change your entire life. Quite amazing. This is exactly what we should be doing each and every day as we walk through our lives. Now, <clears throat> this was a Bible class that Jesus called together all of these guys and had a wonderful Bible class. And now the class is over. The question to all of these lawyers and to all of these Pharisees is the same question that we would have today. What is your conclusion of who Jesus Christ is? What do you conclude? Who do you conclude Jesus to be? Because Jesus has represented himself on earth as the son of God. He came in the manger. And when he came, he grew up. And when he grew up, he said a whole lot of things that are written right here that you can't refute. And then now that he stands before you, and, and we can say this to others, as he stands before you, who do you see Jesus as? Is he the very God that the Bible portrays him to be? It is so important to know Jesus for who he represents himself to be. So now class is over, everybody leaves, and the conclusion still remains in their minds. Who is Jesus to you? What a conclusion. What a Bible class. I wish I was at that one. <laughs> that would have been, especially to see that guy jump up. So that finishes where we are today. Um, let's just continue to press on in God's word as we move through the gospel of Mark. Let's pray. Father, we are very grateful to, um, to you and how you have spoken to us this morning simply through your word and letting us know once again who you are, who your son is, what you've done, and what you are willing to do for so many others. I would pray that each and every one of us, Lord, will learn how not only to carry our burdens to you, but we will not um, be deterred by the difficulties, but that, Lord, we will breach all these obstacles and we will break through and bring these things to you through prayer. We thank you, Father, for speaking to us this morning. Continue to strengthen us in your word each and every day, especially when you come to visit us in a special way. We ask your blessings, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.